like the first time that I got really, really shredded in great shape for a show, I had a hard time post-show mentally letting it go, you know? So, but the funny thing is, even our off season is like, you know, better than 95% of the general population. You know what I mean? So it's not like, it's not like anyone's fat or obese or unhealthy. Heck, they're still walking around with visible abs. You know what I mean? Right. So it's not, that's, that's where the body image thing is so skewed. It's just because they're not even willing to gain back like the essential amount of body fat that they need just to function normally. Hey, and thank you for checking in with us on this edition of the Cerebral Entertainment Podcast. Before we get started, I want to steer you in the direction of a great St. Louis band and alert you of an upcoming show of theirs with a lineup that shan't disappoint. The band is called The Poor, and they have a show coming up on Saturday, August 24th, 2019 at Pops Concert Venue in Sojay, Illinois. This is going to be an absolute banger with a stacked lineup including Inner Outlines, Outrun the Fall, Common Jones, ATG, with, of course, the poor headlining. Tickets are $5 in advance. You can't beat that price, y'all. $8 at the door, which opens at 6.30, so if you are in the St. Louis area on August 24th, you do not want to miss this experience. But even if you are not fortunate enough to make the show, be sure to check out The Poor at thepoormusic.com. That's T-H-E-P-O-U-R-M-U-S-I-C.com. Download the music where all great music can be downloaded and follow them on the socials. Now, for this edition of the CEP, we bring you Austin Stout. Austin is an online strength coach, master tech at Integrated Muscle and Health. He's a podcaster, and he's just an all-around massive dude. You should definitely check him out on the socials if you don't believe me. As a matter of fact, you should check him out on the socials anyway and give him a like and a follow. Let him know that you heard him on the CEP. Also, be sure to check out Austin's podcast called The Mind Body Broadcast. Austin co-hosts this show with Marty McPhee, and the podcast is packed with tons of great info for competitors and bodybuilders of all ilk. Now, we did have a few audio problems during the recording where the voice fades out a bit. Thank you very much, Skype. And it's a little distracting at times, but it doesn't last for long, and the content of the episode far outweighs those issues. So I'm just going to shut up now and let us dive into this episode with the massive Austin Stout. Hey everybody, welcome back to yet another edition of the Cerebral Entertainment Podcast. I am James, and with me, as always, is my good friend Colt. You know it. And we are here on the line today with Austin Stout. How are you doing today, Austin? I am doing well. How are you guys? We are also well. It's good to have you on with us today, and uh, so let's just get started. Why don't you tell us what you do and who you are, and we'll go from there. Okay, so I know you guys, like, I do a lot of podcasts, and but they're obviously, most of them are fitness or bodybuilding related. I know you guys have some different topics going on. So me personally, I coach competitors, gen pop. Um, I have a whole variety of clients, some different athletes, various athletes and things. Yeah. And that, that's what I do full time. Uh, basically, basically sit at home and type on my computer for 14 hours a day. So that's my, <laughs> that is, that is what I do in a nutshell. Uh, I, like I said, I work with people uh, all over the world, different countries. I, I do in recent years. I've also branched out into doing some some more education, uh, speaking at seminars, attending different things like that. We have a couple big seminars coming up this year uh, that I get to speak at, which I'm pretty excited about. And that's kind of the direction I'm heading slowly. But primarily, I coach physique athletes for competition, and then also Gen Pop for health and uh, you know body composition improvement. Nice. 
So I would I would frame that though as you spilling your wisdom through the keyboard as opposed to just sitting there on your keyboard and typing all day. That that sounds I don't know. I like the way that's framed. <laughs> so where where do you get all the, where do you get all that wisdom from, Austin? How do you how did you attain all this knowledge? How long have you been um, into this field? I guess, and how did you get into that field when you were young? Uh, so I was attracted to competing personally contract attracted to competing. Like I think a lot of people, you know, through, they have like some type of athletic background. I was a wrestler for many years competitively. And I also raced motocross for, since I was about eight years old. And those are both very individual sports, obviously, you know, they're the wrestling, obviously it has a team component to it, but it's, you know, it's more or less individual and that fits my personality type well. Uh, and I started weight training for wrestling and picked up the whole nutrition side of things. I don't know if you, if you guys know anything about wrestling or fighting or anything, obviously there's the weight class component and a lot of people don't do it correctly. You know, there's all kinds of weight cutting horror stories and yeah. various things. I, I thought, you know, Hey, there's gotta be a better way to do this. I don't want to feel like crap when I perform. And I actually, I noticed that when I was seeking out information, almost everything was written by bodybuilders or had a bodybuilding component or, you know what I mean? So I'm like, well, these guys must know something. And so that's where I gained most of my knowledge. And I, it's funny because the, I would say I was probably sophomore, junior year. I really got interested. I'm like, okay, I'm going to follow a set diet and do this this year and see how this helps me with my weight, uh, you know, and performance. And of course I didn't, I was doing that, but I was doing like a ketogenic diet or something and doing these two hour, you know, and doing like these two hour wrestling practices and stuff. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm really lean, but I don't think my performance is any better. So I, I actually linked up with a friend of mine who I still, I'm still good friends with. He helped me introduce, you know, more carbohydrates and stuff into my diet and fine tune everything. And after I completed, you know, after I was done wrestling competitively, I'm like, man, I really like this bodybuilding thing. So I just, I went right into it, started prepping for my first show, helping people locally, you know, started as like a personal trainer, like a lot of people do. That was about, actually had my first paying client right about 10, 11 years ago. So like right out of, right out of high school. Then I realized at the time there wasn't Instagram. We had Facebook, no Instagram, but a lot of people use forums but there wasn't like coaching. There was a couple people, but I didn't really think it was a viable career. Like it, it you know, like a lot of people now, they, they are tons of coaches. So once I started making money at, it, I'm like, okay, I'm actually pretty good at this. And then I think the biggest thing too, that really helped me aside from the knowledge component is also just the psychological component. Like I have a good psych background and I'm able to relate to people and talk to people and work with different personality types. I think that really allows me to kind of excel in this field because we're behind a keyboard, right? So, I mean, you got to be able to read people and know how to communicate with people and uh, to be able to coach them. You can't just bark orders to everyone and expect it to work and be militant with every single person. So and that's, yeah, I just kept learning like everybody else. I just kept learning and learning and learning. I read constantly tried things. I've messed myself up way too many times to count <laughs> doing things, doing things incorrectly. But luckily I've learned from all those experiences on myself and been able to apply to other people. 
So you had like one person in high school who kind of helped you along as far as your diet goes and stuff or weight cutting, things like that. But if you started yeah. right out of high school, uh, helping other people, like where was the, your confidence as far as helping other people at that time that was all research done by yourself on how to help other people or how did that work? Yeah. So like I said, I, I maybe had a, you know, a couple years experience in there previously before I actually helped anyone. Now it was mostly from a little bit of the nutrition component. I knew the basic stuff. I knew that, Hey, most people eat too much. Most people need to be in a calorie deficit. Like I learned the basic things like, you know, like people are way too focused on eating a certain foods rather than actually portioning and, and doing the things that are going to cause weight loss or fat loss. So I knew how to help people on that general level. And, um, yeah, it was all self-research. And, and you know what? It's funny you ask because I do Q and A's weekly and I get asked this question a lot. Hey, what's a good book or what's a good sort? How did you learn? I'm like, man, I don't have, I've picked from so many different sources that like everything's basically just self-taught and from a million different places. And I piece things together, piece things together. And I think the, the hardest part about that is the information is out there. It's plentiful. It's just that it's like navigating it and figuring out what's good and what's crap. Right. You know? So I guess that sounds like you have, to, you have to write your own book, right? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe one day I'm, <laughs> I've a lot of, a lot of things I'd like to do. My wife says I should do an ebook or something. Yeah, uh -huh. I probably will eventually, but, um, but man, there's always the priority list is, uh, is growing. It's big. <laughs> yeah. Finding the time to, uh, write that book and do the other, uh, 900 things I'm sure that you'd like to do is, is always a challenge, but it's, it's interesting that you bring up the, the cutting the weight for fighting wrestling. We've talked about that on several different occasions and how unhealthy of an approach that is to anything in life, just to, just to cut that much weight, um, especially before performance, it seems like, too. It just seems so counterintuitive that you're going to do this thing where you exert all of this energy, right? you, you got to be on top of your game. But before that, you're going you're gonna to push your body to the limit and drop all of this weight, and, and it, it just seems like such a very unhealthy thing to do. And we've had kind of a roundtable before about, you know, different ideas and approaches that one could take instead of doing it that way. But it just seems like that's been the standard for so long. And hopefully uh, times are changing at some point in time. So especially high school kids, you know, because they're trying to make their mark and they're super competitive, right? You get all that testosterone and, and just, you know, the, the competition of the school, the school pride and all that stuff. And I'm, that goes into college, and of course, uh, and whatnot. But I like how you, Austin, how you've taken that, you've taken that uh, circumstance and wanted to do it better and used bodybuilding to, to do that. That's very interesting how you got started there. Yeah, yeah, you're you're 100 correct. And luckily, I think things have they're slowly heading in the right direction. They're not quite there, but they've definitely gotten better. And part of it too is that. Part of it too is kind of the way the to get really technical with it. The weigh-in system is kind of flawed in a lot of cases. Like some of these people, at the professional level, like I've worked with some MMA fighters and stuff too, which I'm really comfortable with just because of my background. And some of these will do, you know, like a 48-hour weigh-in, which that gives you plenty of time to obviously rehydrate and all that stuff. But sure, but that also that also gives you plenty of time to cut dangerous amounts of weight. You know what I mean? So it's, it's kind of a double edged sword 
And I like, I know in high school wrestling, my very, my senior year of high school, they implemented an out, they called the alpha way in where you had to pass a hydration test and they checked your body fat and they basically told you, you know, Hey, this is the lowest weight class you're allowed to go. And, um, that's a good start, obviously. Uh, now you could get a doctor's note if your body fat was too low. You still had to pass the hydration test, but you could, you know, get the doctor's notes. I mean, you could finagle it a little bit, but that was definitely a good start. But yeah, when you get to certain, certain levels, there's still, it's going to be, it'd be hard to fully eliminate. I know in some countries in like international wrestling, I follow, uh, they do, they do same day weigh-ins. Like they'll do like two hours. You, you can cut weight, but you, you don't want to, because I mean, you're going to perform terribly and you're performing against the top, you know, top guys in the world. Right. So, so that's cool. I, I think that, you know, that pretty much eliminates most of it right there because, Hey, I mean, if you cut weight, you're just going to, you're just going to suck. <laughs> you yeah, know, right. so <laughs> right. Right. I mean, I, I don't um, know much about like high school wrestling or anything, but I do follow uh, like UFC and MMA a lot. And, uh, even it, it just blows my mind to see like prof- professional MMA fighters who still miss weight and some of them by large amounts. And most of the time, like the, the reasoning is they like food. I mean, that, that's really the, what they what they give. I mean, you know, of course, you have some some instances where there was some major medical issues or something like that. But a lot of the times there's really nothing. You're just giving up money because you you wanted to eat. <laughs> I mean, a lot of times that's really what it is. Yeah, it, it, you're right. It, I, there's a couple of people that are like really notorious for it. Uh, they they just notoriously miss weight a lot. And mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, you you forfeit. I don't know what the, all the rules are, but you're forfeiting like half of your purse or right. all of your purse, and, which seems absolutely crazy to me. But uh, you're a professional at that point. Like eating is part of your eating properly is part of your career, you know. So maybe if you can't hack it, you might want to pick up something else like competitive eating. <laughs> well, how, how does that work at the high school level with wrestling? Um, if, if you miss weight, uh, is it, I mean, are you automatically out or how do, I mean, what's the, or is suspension or anything like that? How does that work? Um, no, I mean, there's no like major punishment with the, you know, like suspension or anything, but if you have, if there's somebody already in that weight class on your team, you can't bump up, you know what I mean? You're pretty much, you're pretty much out of luck. And especially in a tournament situation, because the coaches will, the coaches will send in the weights previously, you know, like, Hey, I've got this wrestler at this weight. They send in their lineup. So if people are missing weight, I mean, that's, that's it. I, and I'll tell you, I mean, it's, there's some stressful situations. Like when I got up to wrestling the higher level, like the state tournament stuff here in Ohio, I, I was really close to weight lots of times. I mean, heck they have, a qualification system you have to go through like a sectional tournament and then a district tournament and then you make it to the state tournament at district tournament i made the way out by like i had like 90 seconds left on the clock and i made it by one ounce wow yeah and it was and that was my senior year of high school i'm like holy shit if i miss the state tournament because i don't make this way out you know and it's tough because you want to, you want to eat and rehydrate and stuff after you weigh in, but these longer tournaments, they actually make you weigh in and weigh out. So you have to, you can't, you can't go in there and gorge yourself. You know what I mean? They're keeping you, they're keeping you honest. That's crazy. So, I've never heard of that before. Have you weighing out? No, no. I haven't. Huh. <laughs> but yeah, I- they do it at, uh, they do it at the state tournaments too. You have to weigh in and you have to weigh, 
I believe the second day they also make you check. They also make you make weight again. They give you like a pound, one or two pounds allowance, but yeah, but one or two pounds is anything. A pound is like one bottle of water rehydrating. Right. You know what I mean? It's not, it's nothing. So you're basically recutting weight to weigh back out, which is just ironic, but, but I get it. I get it too, because you also get people that we would joke about it. Like you'd get people that cut weight. Like I wrestled, I think 145 pounds, but I'd weigh 160 this on day two. Right. You know? Yeah. So yeah, I could see how yeah. the tournament would, would, you know, change <laughs> things a bit as far as the weighing. It makes yeah, sense. For sure. So you, you taught, you said you had somewhat of a, uh, a psych background as well. And, uh, so that's interesting. I was thinking about what you were saying earlier, Colt, about how some people just can't stop eating. It's, it's like their driving force. And, and of course, Austin said maybe they should go into competitive eating instead, <laughs> uh, which is interesting, but you know, emotional eating and the reasons why we eat is such a huge component and, and the driving force of eating, you know, for, for a lot of people, it's like, okay, I'm going to choose to eat this food. And I would imagine Austin at, at the level of, of prepping for a show, as a, as a prep coach, it sounds like that's primarily what you do, correct? You you prep for for shows, for events, for competition, right? Yeah, I, most of my clients, yeah. Okay, and, and so I, I would imagine at that level it, it, that people are a little more disciplined than just your average Joe who's just trying to get on a better diet. Um, but even at, at the level of MMA, you know, you would think, like you said, Colt, that these these folks would be primed and disciplined enough to control their eating. But it seems like there's so many reasons and and such a such an innate force behind eating and why people do that, that it's very difficult. And so I just wonder how much psychological insight you have into that, Austin, as as to, you know, that driving force. So all right. So this this is so multifaceted because you're gonna find so many different different like mindsets to different people. Um I have the people that if I tell them to go eat, you know, dirt out of their front yard, they'll do it. And they, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, but I made a post about this yesterday and it was something along the lines of if you are, if you're more, if you're, you know, prepping for a competition, you're more worried about what you're going to eat afterwards. Do you really even like competing? Mm. Or, you know what I mean? It's because you would think what you said, you, I'm obviously more disciplined. And I would say as a whole, yeah, that's true. But it's not it's not as true as you think um, because there's a lot of people that they – this obviously this extreme of getting – so once you get in good – they're getting in good shape and getting in competition shape are obviously two different things. And once you start getting so far out of homeostasis to get like extremely lean, there's a lot of other weird things that happen hormonally – uh, like your hunger hormones and stuff get very, they, they start tricking you because your body wants you to eat, right? It's like, Hey, uh, you don't have any body fat. You need to eat. You may have ate five minutes ago, but they're like, Hey, you need to keep eating. So, uh, you get a lot of weird things that happen, but people, I would say almost all of the disordered eating that I, that I've seen. And it, and a lot of it for bodybuilding is binge eating disorder. Uh, that's, binge it like a binge and restrict and comes from competitors more so than gen pop just because they've done this extreme thing and they throw their body all out of whack and then they think oh you know competition's over i'm just going to eat whatever and then they can't stop and next thing they know it's 
two months post-show and they've regained all of the weight back plus more, now they're depressed. Right. Now they have anxiety. Now they have now they have this bad relationship with food. They have this bad relationship with competing. They have this they literally I and this is sound dramatic, but like I've literally seen people's lives completely torn apart because they, they do some a bodybuilding show and they end up with this binge eating issue and they have, and I'll talk to them a year later, they don't even lift anymore. They can't even be seen in a gym because last time they were in a gym, they were ripped and ready to compete. And they, their face, you know, their face is all puffy. They're all swollen. Their hormones are all out of whack. They've never fully recovered from the competition. They've, uh, they've got all this stuff going on. And, uh, it's just because, and, and that stuff can happen, but you know, maybe it's because they didn't have the right guidance post show. They didn't have a coach that would help them, um, transition out of it, or they just didn't take it. They just didn't take it serious enough. You get the harder, you, the harder you have to push and the harder and the further you get away from your natural set point, whatever that is, the more of an environment you create for those problems. You know what I mean? So it's, the psychological component is huge. And I've talked about this on other podcasts. Like you have to, I always tell first time competitors and they kind of joke. It's funny because they normally never have problems in the prep, right? Because they have that show. They're like, Oh yeah, I got this show. I'm fine. It's always. And then they think, Oh, the prep, I, I made it through the prep without deviating. I'll be fine post show. But as soon as that date is gone, the floodgates open. Right. And it's all. Yeah. So that's a, it's a hard topic, man. Like I, like I said, it, I know it sounds dramatic, but I've just seen some people like literally ruin their lives on food and competing. No kidding. In that regard. So in, yeah. in your opinion, from what you've seen, what do you think the driving force is behind people wanting to compete or I guess just say compete because uh, is it just the competition you think? Because nobody's happy in those last few weeks leading into a show. They're, they're uncomfortable, you know, they're, they're so lean, things like that. What, what is it that makes them want to do that? Is it just competing against somebody else? Is it attention? What do you think? Well, I think there's an attention component now more than there used to be because we have social media, right? Right. Uh, you know, that's, no one's going to argue with that. I mean, it's, it is totally, contingent. I think it's an identity thing as well. Um, they have, and I, and I, I'll, I'll call people on this. I'm not afraid to call people out anymore on this stuff because I want them to, I don't want them to fall into that. I don't want them to fall into that trap. And I noticed that like these, these types of people I'm talking about, they genuinely really don't like competing as much as they think they do. They just think that they have to compete because it's their image and it's their identity. And that's how they get the likes and, you know, the views and, all this stuff. And that's what their maybe that's what their friends do or whatever. It starts as like a really innocent thing for a lot of people, you know, like, Hey, I'm going to do this. My friend competes. I have a pretty good physique. I'm already going to the gym. I already eat good. I'm going to compete. And, uh, they do it. And yeah, it's really, it's really difficult, but they kind of like it, but they, but then they feel like all these people, they get all this praise and everything. And then they feel like that's what they have to do indefinitely from there on out. Or right. these people are, these people are going to think lesser of them. You know what I mean? So I think, yeah, I think it's just a identity thing for a lot of people, but 
I genuinely, and I say this all the time, like I genuinely think there's so many people that really don't like competing as much as they think. And because me personally, I'm very competitive and, and no, and it's very difficult for me to get into competition shape just with the way my metabolism is and all this. And I, yeah, I mean, totally miserable the last whatever amount of weeks. But for me, I, I like the actual competition component. Like in my head, I'm going to beat other people, right? I'm not right. going to compete. I'm not going to compete just to uh, post pictures and, 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 and then get to enjoy a bunch of food afterwards. Yeah, I'm going to go out to eat whatever with my wife, but that's not, that's not like my, my driving force. Cause I mentioned that post I made yesterday about, about that. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you get, I don't know how familiar you guys are with this, the whole post show and all the crazy stuff, but I mean, you have people that they have food stashes ready to go post show. Like they have just junk food stashes that are ready. Right. And then they have like a list of restaurants that they're going to hit in like the next week. And then they have. Um, and, and you know, what's, what's worse than this really pisses me off is that you get, you get promoters that'll have like boxes of donuts and cake and all this stuff backstage. And I'm like, I'm like, guys, I get what you're doing, but you don't understand what you're setting these people up for. Right. You know, and it's a really, it's a hard thing because it's like, they think, you know, some of my clients be like, well, you're telling me not to go out and enjoy myself after the show. I said, no, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm like, realize the ramifications of having, of you know, there's a difference between going out and having a meal and binging for the next month. Yeah. Um, I, you know, mm -hmm. so well, I, I, uh, I hope that answers. Yeah, I did. Uh, th that's interesting uh, a way to take it, like accountability. You know, me and James have talked before about how you can, depends on how you want to use social media. I can use social media as I'm going to put this out there because I know it will make me accountable to do what I say I'm going to do versus something like this. You know, they, they, they feel accountable because they've put this out there. Maybe they've done one show and now they feel like that's who they are. And now they are accountable to all those people who followed them because of what they were doing. And now they can't stop. And I, I never really thought about it that way. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's that. And they, and, and a lot of people need a goal, right? Right. They need a goal, to, something to work towards, which is fine. Like I, I get that if not, not a lot of people can just work towards something that's very, that's not concrete and in, in the long run, like, uh, that's why a lot of people don't have successful off seasons between shows because it's very long, like actually gaining muscle and making improvements takes a lot of time and they, they can't wrap their head around taking three years off from the stage and doing this literally like doing the same thing for three years <laughs> over and over and over to make these improvements. So what do they do? They're like, Oh, I gained, I gained all this weight back post show. So what do you think they're going to do? I need to pick another show mm -hmm. because that's what I need to do to get back in shape because I can't do it without that. And which I mean, that, that, that's, that's, that's a, not necessarily a bad thing if you treat it in the right way. Right. I mean, like you, 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 you to make, to get yourself healthier, to make yourself be better, you are striving for a goal. And that goal is that next competition. Yeah. I don't have any problem with that. There's just, it, it just really depends on the context, you know, because right. the context, the problem lies that 
like I talked about all the weird things, you know, all the bad things that happen to your body, all the hormonal downregulation and all this stuff that happens post show. The problem is that people won't take long enough between shows to actually recover those health markers and recover their metabolism and recover their psyche before they do the next prep. And they might get away with that for, you know, a couple years. I see this in new competitors, like they'll do it for the first couple years. And then a few years in they, they're, they're doing these shows every six months, eight months. And they're, and they come to me and they're like, Hey, I want to do this show, but my body's not doing anything like it used to. And I'm having all this anxiety and all these mood disorders and stuff. I'm like, well, how long have you, when's the last time you actually took sufficient time between shows to recover? I never have is normally the answer. Right. And that's where the problem is. It's just that it's too, it's too close together and they just, they just don't recover. And there's actually some good research on this. Like there's some, and there's some case studies and it was on males, not females. And in females, you can almost assume that it's going to take longer almost always. But even in males, like male natural bodybuilders, they, it was something upwards of six months just to normalize all of their health and metabolic markers and, you know, testosterone and cortisol levels and all their hunger hormones and all this that's just to normalize it, let alone stay in that homeostatic state. You know, they're like, oh, you know, just because you're normal doesn't mean you should go right back to abnormal. Like you should probably be normal more than you're abnormal. Absolutely. Right? So you take a female, it's going to take longer, almost always, because now you're dealing with they already have these cyclical hormones like their menstrual cycle and all this stuff that's all out of whack. So it's going to take, you know, a lot longer. And I tell these girls, I'm like, hey. We're going to have to keep you out of a calorie deficit, meaning you're not going to lose any weight or body fat for a year or something. And they, they'll, of course, they freak out mm -hmm. because they've never taken that long off from competing since they started competing, you know, whatever, two, three years ago. And that's such a daunting, that's such a daunting thing. And they're like, well, what in the meantime, and, and sometimes I'll try to help them do things in the meantime, like set, like, uh, we'll do like, I have some girls or and guys that they'll they'll venture out and they'll do like powerlifting meet or they'll do like a strongman competition or they'll do um like a Spartan race or you know a tough mutter or different things that just anything you know anything that or they'll pick up like a like a a rec league basketball team or something at their local you know local gym or whatever just something that gives them like like nurtures that competitive aspect of their personality and that stuff's that's great. I get that. Like I get I get that it's you don't want to be stagnant, but at the same time, like I I try to tell these people how serious it is. If you don't recover your health, you're going to be, you know, you're going to be in big trouble down the line. Like I've I I could give you countless examples. Like I mean, I've had females have such a short if if we did a statistical thing, females have such a short shelf life of competing because almost all of them end up with terrible body image, terrible hormones, terrible health. Like no joke. That's just, it just happens all the time. So terrible body image. That's interesting though. How, how this, uh, it counters what the, the, the primary goal is the initial goal. And it's it seems, it seems to me that it's all wrapped up kind of in identity, you know, and I know you mentioned that, that term several times already, Austin, but 
just the, when, when something becomes your identity um, and that identity starts to slip because of age or because of hormonal imbalance or, or whatever the case may be, anxiety, depression, um, overeating after a show, whatever the case, uh, it, it seems like that could be so detrimental to someone's overall health that it's, it's almost kind of a, a, a fine line that, that bodybuilders walk or anybody really who just kind of obsesses, if I can use that term, obsesses on uh, physique and that they've really got to be careful about how they how they treat that identity, how they how they care for it post show and and over time in general. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because now you got to think you've set this standard right of like un, unattainable leanness that you're not gonna you're not gonna look like that all the time. And but a lot of people want to, right? They don't they don't want to feel like that, like the crappy feeling and the low energy, but they want to look like that. And so now they're in this back and forth battle all the time and they can't figure out like oh, what the heck am I gonna what the heck am I gonna do and that's when that's when I said that's when like the excessive competing and stuff starts happening and and they just get in this vicious cycle and yo-yoing back and forth uh, so yeah it's definitely it's hard and the same thing could be like it's even I've done this a bunch of times I've competed you know I've been competing for a good amount of time double digit years and it's even I for a while, not so much anymore, because I, I know like in the off season, hey, this is what I need to do. And this is I want to get better. But even at first, like the first time that I got really, really shredded in great shape for a show, I had a hard time post show mentally letting it go, you know, so and it's not like but the funny thing is, even our off season is you know better than 95 percent of the general population you know what i mean so it's not like it's not like anyone's fat or obese or unhealthy heck they're still walking around with visible abs you know what i mean right. so it's not that's that's where the body image thing is so skewed it's just because they can't they're not even willing to gain they're not even willing to gain back like the essential amount of body fat that they need just to function normally you know what i mean because a female and a male we need like at least some baseline of essential body fat for hormones and everything to function because when we get too lean stuff starts shutting down. So, I mean, they, you got to at least let yourself regain that amount of fat, whatever it is relevant to that person. And if you don't, then you'll run into problems. Well, it seems like that could lend itself to body dysmorphia pretty quickly too. you know, having to constantly check obsessing over just that, the not being in, competition form even though like you said it's better than 95 percent, if not greater than most of society especially in our culture and, and so it's, it's once again a very fine line yeah and it's it's man it's hard it I'm, i'll never tell you it's easy like it's still to this day i always think about different ways that i can kind of relay that message to people and try to figure out the best way to keep them happy but also healthy at the same time and sometimes i have to like sometimes I just have to be a little more harsh and I have to be like, look, if you don't do this off season or off period or whatever, uh, successfully or long enough or, you know, whatever, depending on their situation, this is what's going to happen to you. And then I'll basically tell them all the stuff that I just told you guys and any, any logical person's going to be like, okay, I don't want that to happen to me. Now, the problem is that, 
can they think logically and just not emotionally, you know? Mm. So they, it's like, you have to be able to take the, there's such a huge emotional and huge, you know, psych component there with people is that I have to try. I'm like, set aside the way you feel like emotionally and think about this logically. I said, write it down on a piece of paper and read it. If you need to, it's like, do you, do you want to in, in one year, do you want to regain all your body fat, have down regulated hormones, have thyroid issues? Do you want to, when you're older, um, have X, Y, Z issue? Do you want that? And of course they're going to say no. Right. But, but still, some people still do it, even if I lay it out to them. And and I and I'll, I've turned people away. I've turned. I'm like I feel bad because I want to help them do the right thing, but if they won't listen, like I'm not going to take their money and and help them do the wrong thing. Mm. You know what I mean? So yeah. But 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 the thing is, there's plenty of coaches that are going to. Sure. So yeah. they'll just fine. That's fine. I'll just go find someone that will prep me for this competition, even though I've done six shows this year already and my body's falling apart and, and all my hair is falling out. And I, you know, and I, and my skin, I have rashes on my skin and I can't sleep and all this stuff. And then they're like, I'll find someone to do it. Like, okay. Wow. <laughs> I, t- I tried. Yeah. You know, I yeah. tried. That's uh so that, that's interesting. It, it, it seems like it's mindset, you know, um, I liken it to like things in my life where I know this is, man, this is such a great time in my life, you know, and I try to think to myself as often as possible, this might not stay this way, you know, just so I don't set myself up for some kind of future disappointment. You know, life is a, is a series of ups and downs, you know, and so when you're on, on a nice wave and you're feeling great and you're doing something, um, it's like if you are, I've never been a rock star, I've never been a computer uh, 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 in competition uh, that, was awesome, that was an awesome word. I gotta <laughs> computer, tell you. A computer. Um, but I've, I've never done those things. But it just seems like you know, if I'm a rock star, I'm going to say to myself, you know, I'm I'm not always going to be a rock star. Probably this is just a season in my life, and I need to prepare myself for after this high that I'm on right now, this this huge wave that I'm riding, because um, one of these one of these days it's going to go down. And so it seems like that that kind of preemptive mindset would be very important for uh, someone who's in competition as well. Yeah, it, it is. And I, I think the best way that I can help people is I show them the purpose of what they're doing. If they can understand the purpose of that off season period or the purpose of regaining that little bit of body fat or, or whatever it might be, then that helps because now they have a reason to do it. Now they have a goal and they have something that they're, they're working towards. It's like, there's always something. And sometimes it's, even if it's just health, even if I have to like back off their training and, and make them eat more and do all this stuff. Well, well now we're working on health gains. We'll call them because everyone, you know, we're working on, we're working on, uh, their health and that's a goal, right? That's something. And I, and I, I try to get people interested in that stuff. Like we'll get their blood work done and we'll check all these markers and I'll be like, okay, now our, our goal is I want you to do as good as you can on all this stuff and implementing this new like supplementation for their health and yada, yada, yada. And they, I'm like, our goal is to get these health markers as good as we can. And if they can make a game out of that and a goal out of that, now they have something to work towards. Yeah. But it's just getting, (laughs) that's way easier said than done. 
is I guess what I'm, what I'm getting at. Uh, and, and the, and the better you look, the better you look and the more extremes that you've went to, the harder it's going to be. Like you see, you see like these pro bodybuilders and stuff that'll be, you know, 280 pounds. And when they're done competing professionally, there's absolutely no reason that they need to walk around at 280 pounds for health reasons. Right. And, but man, you know how hard that is to let that go. And I'm not 280 pounds. I'm not a small guy, but I'm not, you know what I mean? But I'm thinking I'll be uh, 29 this year. So I'm still young. Luckily I have lots of competing years left, hopefully knock on wood, but I'm, but I still in the back of my head think, okay, when I can't gain muscle anymore, like when I'm at my capacity and maybe I stop competing, am I going to be ready for that? You know, because I'm so driven and stuff towards that goal. Like now I think I'll be fine because I, I can refocus on something else, like maybe my business. Right. Uh, so I think I'll be okay, but I'm, but I've like, slowly prepped my mind for that scenario even though it's years down the line it's just that most people don't think ahead like that i mean we're human nature is instant gratification right i mean we want we want this and we want this now and we want to feel good today and nobody cares about tomorrow the smart people care about tomorrow but a lot of people don't hmm. yeah no i think i think you're on the right track there man and you know, there's a there's a saying. It's probably Buddhist, but I've, I've seen it in the form of a meme, where it says, uh, you know, practice letting go of the things that you love. You know, kind of have that once again that mindset. Because what if, what if an injury happens? You know, to a someone who's a competitor, um, and and you don't want to think about bad things coming up. You you don't want to think about not competing anymore. But to some degree, you probably should and prepare for those things. You know, I, I would imagine that all professional athletes have to at some point in time hopefully come to themselves and kind of say you know what I'm not going to be an athlete all my life what am I going to do after I'm a baseball player or after I'm a bodybuilder or after this or that you know and, and if you don't you're kind of setting yourself up for a rude awakening down the road and that identity crisis is basically what what it amounts to is because at some point in time you're not going to be able to hang on to that exact same person that you were when you were in your prime or before the injury or whatever the case may, may have been, you know, well, it's kind of like the NBA thing now. Like, you know, they have to do at least a certain amount of school of college before they can be drafted in the NBA, mm. which I think is awesome because you know what, what happened? You, you can sign a multi multi million dollar contract, but what happens if you go into the first game and you break your knee in half and you can't ever play again? What, what do you have to fall back on? Sure. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. So you can, you can, relate what we're talking about to pretty much anything like it and that and i think like what i said too about the more extremes that you go to or i could say the more successful you are the harder it is to let something go right because you've been at the top and now you're not at the top <laughs> right so you know it's harder it's just like athletes that play way beyond how long they should like they <laughs> you know i mean stuff so, I mean, you see that, you see that stuff happen, but I can, but I can relate. Like it's, you, you like, man, they, he should retire, but you don't know what he, to him, it's hard. And luckily for me, I think the biggest thing is I, I, I talk about my competitions and I post my photos and all this stuff and, and, um, and people, 
you know, and, and people do compliment and stuff like that. But I, I think that I've got the most notoriety from my actual coaching and using my brain, which is good because I can do that after I'm done competing. Right. So I don't, I'll have my, I feel like I'll still have my identity as, as being a coach and educator and all that stuff. But if you've got these people that have everything wrapped up in this really short shelf life of competing, then they're just in big trouble because they have nothing. They might, they might not have any career outside of that. They might not have any interests outside of that. They might not have anything at all. So they just fall off. Unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. You take it back, that back to MMA, man, look at professional MMA, all these fighters that go, you know, many fights past when they should have quit. But you know, regardless if they go in there and they get knocked out in the first 10 seconds, they're still bringing home some money. So not only is their identity attached to fighting in that competition, but also the a paycheck is attached to that as well, regardless if they win or lose. So keeping in mind, yeah. though, there's there's, yeah. there's a risk with that as well. Though. Right. Getting into that ring, especially at an, at an older age, right. you're risking getting knocked out and, mm-hmm. and having some serious repercussions. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's no different than it's no different than bodybuilding. I mean, you got you're risking. I mean, if you're, I don't know, like if you're 50 years old or 60 years old and you're still trying to do something to your body, whether it's push it to a certain point training wise or people that use like performance enhancing drugs and things. And they, I'm like, do you really think your 60 year old body is going to handle that? Like your 20 year old body. It's just like rock stars that do or, or recreational drugs or, or anyone, you know what I mean? Like eventually something's going to break, right? It gets gonna, you know what I mean? Eventually you're not going to be able to handle it. It's just a perfect example is people that in their twenties, early twenties that they go out and binge drink on the weekends, right. And they get hangover. Well, then when they're 45 and they do it, they're like, Holy shit. I don't know how I did this when I was 20. Like I can't do this anymore. You know, they're like, I'm not recover. I don't recover the way I used to. I'm like, I can't even get out of bed or they can't, <laughs> or like, you know, they're just waking up hoping their back doesn't hurt. You know what I mean? So it's like that you can, you can relate these things to just anything. It's just that I guess the takeaway is that you have to be ready for things to change and you have to be ready for your abilities to your, your athletic abilities. And I guess primarily to not be as good as you get older. So you need to have, hopefully you have something that involves your brain that you're good at. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Great, great point. I love that. And, uh, as, as far as the yeah. hangover goes, I'm, I'm 41 years old, Austin. And if I binge drink, I feel like I'm going to die. It's not about getting out of bed. It's like, am I going to survive this? Because I don't think I, yeah. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I'm not, as you could probably assume, I'm not like a, that's definitely not my scene, but it's funny because I, uh, my dad recently turned, he just had a, a big birthday and I, uh, my dad's only 50. So he's not, people are like, Oh, your dad's not that old. He's the same age as me. But anyhow, he's, uh, <laughs> yeah, he has 50th birthday and they, my dad's a really hard worker. Luckily I've got that from him and he, they were able to buy a house up at this lake nearby and and then they go up there on the weekends and i'm really happy because they you know he has fun and stuff but he for his 50th birthday he he drinks he drinks some beer on the weekends but 
not anything crazy. And these guys bought him like, you know, 12 shots, 16 shots. And he's like, dude, I was ill for like a week. And he's like, I just can't, I just can't do this anymore. And, and at that, obviously at, he's like, I won't be doing that. You know how many times you hear that? Oh, I won't do that again. Right. Uh-huh. But, but yeah, I know we're getting a little off track, but yeah, I mean, you just can't, your just body just can't handle things as good at, at, as you age anything really. Right. So Austin, at the beginning of the show, you had mentioned that you do a lot of podcasts. Let's get into those a little bit. Um, I know mind body broadcasts you do and then OPD as well. Are those the main two that you stick with or do you do more outside of that? Yeah. So those two, and then just like get stuff like coming on with you guys and I just do various fitness podcasts. Just did one like a week ago or maybe two weeks ago. Uh, and Previous to the two that you mentioned, there was another show I was part of for about two years. We probably did a hundred and some odd episodes. So the podcasting thing's gone. I've got some definitely got some time under my belt on that. I really enjoy it. I think it's it's uh, well, it's definitely the way of the future now. I mean, how many podcasts are there? Right. There's a bunch. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and the podcast, uh, the market, you could say, is flooded with podcasts, but it's still, it's not surpassing the growing listenership of podcasts, according to the numbers that I see. Uh, So, you know, counting that those numbers are are accurate, the podcast listenership is growing and is projected to grow over the next, I forget, five, ten years by just millions, right? And so, such a growing medium and such a good way to reach your market. Right. I mean, as you know, you're as having your own business um, as you do, it's got to be a great tool. Uh, and it's a lot of fun, too. Uh, obviously, we, we have a lot of fun doing it because we just like to get on here and, and talk about whatever we're interested in. And so, you know, why not? And, and get to meet new people and yada, yada. But um, to be able to use it as a marketing tool in, in today's world, um, it's just it's an amazing thing that, that we can uh, reach out to other people. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. It's you can say the same thing about coaching because it's it's extreme extremely saturated, but the demand is still there. Now, eventually, eventually the good you know the good podcasts and the good coaches are going to stick around, and, and every everyone else will kind of fall off like the fly by night, try to get big quick. But if you do things just like anything else, you do things right and establish that foundation, you'll last. Because I just don't see. Even if the even if it starts flatlining or trending in the other direction, like I don't see podcasting going away entirely for any time in the foreseeable future. I mean, I can't so, say. I mean, you even have radio sh- bigger name radio shows now that are making their radio show a podcast as well. It's like a DVR for a radio, you know? Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. And it's it's uh. I mean, hey, as long as, like I said, as long as views keep going up, I mean, I check the statistics and stuff and I'm like, they're always moving in the right direction. So as long as that needle's moving, you know, that's great. Definitely worth the time to put in. And, you know, we're all, uh, the internet's still a baby in the grand scheme of things. I mean, the internet as we know it, uh, basically really came to itself in the 90s, right? The early 90s and, and grew, you know, grew from there. I remember we first had the internet when I was, I don't know, probably 16 years old. And, and you know, back in the 90s at some point in time. And uh, 
so now we're still in the infancy stages of, of what this thing is going to become. And so I can just imagine what kind of uh, technology is going to, uh, w- w- what it's going to bring for things like coaching, especially for any kind of, uh, uh, you know, physical physique development, you know, with uh, augmented reality or something like that, when you can put on some glasses and, and you can see your coach through those glasses and he's going to show you this or that or, you know, whatever, how that's going to transform over the next 20, 50 years is going to be amazing just based off of what we're seeing now. And so whoever's going to be on the cutting edge of that is going to obviously already be, have grounded themselves and already have the wheels turning and their momentum shifted toward technology and things like podcasting and what you're doing right now, Austin, just coaching online and the people that you're reaching in different countries and all over this country. And uh, that's just an amazing thing to be able to do that 20 years ago, 30 years ago, especially was just not even probably imaginable. Yeah, I, I, to truthfully, like I have very little desire to ever do one-on-one. Well, I mean, not one-on-one, but like a, a lot of in-person personal training or anything like that, because it's just, that's just not where things are headed. And it's just not necessary to have to schedule and, and, and have a location and all this stuff. I mean, I, I think I have people in maybe eight to 10 different countries and I can coach them from wherever, anywhere, you know? So, yeah, I don't foresee it. I don't foresee that changing at all. It's just going to continue to evolve. Absolutely. Well, Austin, let us know uh, where we can find you, where our listeners can, can keep up with you. I know you've got your, your podcast there on where all great podcasts can be, can be found. But uh, give us more info if you've got it. Promote yourself a little bit so that uh, our people can, can follow you. Okay, cool. So I've tried to make this a little bit easier. So if you go to, if you go to my Instagram, Austin ST eight, the number eight. Now in my bio is I have a little link tree thing that a lot of people use and it has a link to all my podcasts. It has a link to um, my website, has a link to my Facebook. It has a link to my YouTube channel. So literally that I would just suggest going there and then you can you can find everything. Great. That I like easy. Yeah, I for like, sure. I like streamlined uh, yeah. searching. That's that's always a good thing. Well, man, we really appreciate you coming on with us. Uh, I'd like to do this again sometime. Uh, great conversation, man. And uh, it's always nice to have a seasoned podcaster to talk with. You, you make it too easy for us. So uh, thanks for coming on, man. And uh, we, we appreciate your time, and we'll keep following you around. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it, guys. All right. Thanks again to Austin Stout and thank you to the CEP listener. That's you. Remember that word of mouth is a fantastic thing that you can do for us and it's absolutely free. It doesn't cost you one red cent. So be sure to tell your friends and fam about this here variety show that we call the Cerebral Entertainment Podcast, otherwise known as the CEP. And remember to hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you download all your great podcasts. And also, you can download this episode and all of our episodes at the launching pad for all things cerebral at thecepodcast.com. Let me spell that for you. That's T-H-E-C-E-P-O-D-C-A-S-T dot com. If you'd like to contact us, you could do that at cerebral at thecepodcast.com. And of course, we love the way you love us on the socials when in fact you love us on the socials. So let's all get on the socials and get down. Let's boogie. 
Um, that's all we got until next time, though. So uh, keep your brains warm. We'll see you.